David, I'm not sure if uh, if you're on uh, live there yet. I know that I am here. I am here. I'm uh, doing all kinds of magic with my setup, uh, which is a little complicated. But uh, thank you. I'm back, and uh, uh, I am speaking to you from Bergamo, Italy, uh, which until yesterday was the epicenter of uh, the global pandemic. Uh, we kind of passed the baton to to New York now, uh, uh, to the United States in general, but specifically to New York. And uh, the situation here is still very, very complicated. Maybe we will talk about it more uh, during the, the conversation later on. Excellent, David. Well, wonderful to have you online and uh, also to see that you're safe there. And uh, yeah, fascinated to, uh, to hear your insights. Finally, um, James and I have known each other for a long time. James uh, immigrated to America, has uh, been there a couple of years. And uh, James, what's happening on the ground in America? David just passed you guys the baton, so thought it would be a good interview to you. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, well, good evening, good day, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Pierre in Georgetown, Kentucky, so fortunately we're far away from New York, <laughs> but um, we are in lockdown, yeah, um, recommending no, um, no contact, um, and just the last day or two actually stopped travel out of the state for um, essential services. So well, most businesses are closed here apart from essentials and um, a lot of persons working from home. Um, Excellent. Well, well, welcome to all the Sorry, James, did I cut you off? No. So apart from that, we last carrying on. <laughs> Awesome. Well, wonderful to have you all online. We've got people from America, from England, from Bali, from South Africa, from Amsterdam, from Namibia, um, from Belgium, uh, uh, Zambia. So it seems like we've got a pretty, pretty widespread of people from all over the world. Wonderful to have you all online. I wanted to share some slides with you quickly uh, just to sort of set a little bit of context of what we're trying to do. This was an idea that uh, the team came up with. It was we're living in a lot of chaos at the moment, and there's a great saying by Napoleon, the right information at the right time is nine-tenths of any battle. And I think the idea was really, you know, we don't have all the information, but maybe collectively if we can ask a bunch of different people in different spaces, we can have a great uh, interactive conversation tonight where you can ask the questions, I can ask the questions, and collectively we can get the understanding. We talk a lot about the concept of Wealth 5.0, and I don't have time tonight to go into it, but in simple terms, you know, Corona is just pushing us faster, the coronavirus, into this space, which is where it's about solving people's problems. It's about creating value. The more value you create, the more, the more money you're ultimately going to make. Um, the more people you can add value to is critically important, how many people you can connect with, how you can use technology to do that, and ultimately in the digital world, how you can solve problems for people and future-proof them. You know, we, we make it really simple for people. And if you like what you heard tonight, we've got a thing called the Starter Pack. I will share with you later what that involves, but you can literally get started investing in some of the property deals you're going to hear about tonight and, and property markets and property partners from $100. You get access to the Inner Circle, which, which gives you access to what James is going to be sharing around currency and predictions and everything else. You've got access to the different uh, micro degrees and even to deal with, with one of our uh, partners. And although, although it's, it's a huge amount of value, 
we actually make it really affordable. It's, it's literally $197, which includes the $100 voucher to be able to invest. Why am I telling you this up front? Well, because when you're on the webinar tonight and you're thinking, right, the world's in chaos. Do I sit on my hands? Do I do something about it? Do I take advantage? I wanted to give you a simple and easy way that people can participate. And equally, the marketplace is live um, and, and good deals and good partners are, are available on the marketplace. What I wanted to share with you with regards to this update is that we're going to have five different authorities in, in five different areas. Um, the first is going to be James. I've actually known James for more than a decade now. Um, he very kindly wrote chapter two of my book, Property Going Global. He's a specialist in understanding uh, not only currencies, but predicting now, even in the crypto space, where things are going. The way I've always understood it, and he'll go into it in more detail, it's like the weatherman. They spot patterns. And what I found fascinating over the years is that even when my common sense told me otherwise, often James's predictions would be opposite to my common sense. And yet I've been overwhelmed year on year how often and the accuracy that they've had. And so rather than get caught up in the sentiment of the hype, let's rather look at the facts and the figures. David is someone that um, I had the privilege of meeting a couple of years ago. He's one of the first people to invest in the cryptocurrency space. He's a venture capitalist and you know, bases himself normally out of New York and, uh, and Italy, although at the moment he seems to have chosen the two epicenters of the world. Um, he's a faculty member of Sing Singularity University, and he really is a global authority in terms of exponential technologies, cryptocurrency, blockchain, um, etc. And, and really a, a, a very good, has an amazing ability at, at looking into the future and, and where we are all going in terms of the world. You've got Ken Williams, who's uh, one of my business partners, He's an investment banker out of London with 25 years experience. Um, he really started to understand the fintech space in the last uh, couple of years. And, um, and with regards to our company, um, we did this event uh, over the last couple of weeks and gave people fascinating perspectives on the marketplace, what's happening in the global, you know, around stock markets, et cetera, et cetera. Then we got uh, Brendan. Brendan and I have known each other for a long time. In fact, uh, Brendan and I were the, were the two people, along with a guy called Neil Peterson, to fly to America in 2012 to actually buy property. Brendan's been buying property in America since 2011. As you've heard, he's immigrating to America based on his property uh, investments and has built a company where not only in the beginning did he help us build wealth migrate, but he's now built a company called Infinity and uh, got built a portfolio of over $250 million of American real estate in America. And then Alex, I, I was trying to remember Alex, I think you and I met through Roger Hamilton a number of years ago. And uh, so again, at one of those, uh, where's the world going? How do, we, how do we create the future together? Alex has a long history in, in property and property development, uh, specifically in the UK. And what I've been fascinated by is that we have a kindred spirit in the fact that he loves to educate people and then provide opportunities, very similar to what, uh, what we've been doing for a long time. And so tonight is here to not only educate us, but to tell us what's happening on the ground in the UK property market. And then finally, from myself, I'm not going to uh, give myself an introduction, but I am here, and my partner, Richard Dunn from Australia, it's like three o'clock in the morning, so I got a full update from him on what's happening in the Australian market. I can also talk with authority as to what's happening in the South African market. And if we've got questions around either Australia or South Africa, I will be uh, looking at those. In terms of our business model, well, it's a pretty simple business model. We go out and we find trusted partners around the world 
they basically list their properties onto the platform. You and I from all over the world get access to them. And then there are four simple steps upon which people can actually transact. However, I always say to people, there's only two things you need to know when you invest. The first is that you get the right information. And the second is that you get the right partners. And so tonight is to solve both of those. We want to be able to give you the right information. And equally, I want to introduce you to some amazing partners that we've worked with uh, for many years. So if you, if you don't mind, and if uh, six of you are ready, uh, well, six including myself and me, so seven of us, um, is there anything that I forgot from any of you in the introductory phase that you would like to correct or change? Um, I, thought, I thought we'd get much more value by asking questions than giving long resumes, but I want to make sure there's nothing I forgot. Well, you didn't highlight the fact that my uh, photo uh, is uh, uh, glare-faced uh, and, and I have a huge beard now. <laughs> I, I must admit, David, I can see that in Italy you haven't been, you've been in lockdown for a long time. Obviously, barbers are scarce in Italy at the moment. Absolutely. And, and I, I am very nice up here, but I don't show my pajamas down there, right? Because that's how we live today. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyone else? Uh, any other comments before we get started? I'm let's happy. rock and roll. Thanks, thanks. So let's rock and roll. James, I'd like to start with you. I'm going to follow an order on the order upon which we, you know, even uh, sent out the invites and everything else. And I'd like to start with you. You've been you've been amazing at spotting patterns. You know, I, I know you use fancy things like the Elliott wave curve and everything else. I've never fully understood how it all works. But what I have understood is, is it's spotting patterns like the weatherman. And, you know, 100 years ago, most of us would have died if there was a flood or a tornado or a hurricane or even a drought. Whereas today, the, the, we spot patterns or the weatherman spots patterns. And with actually a huge amount of accuracy, tells us what we can expect the next day. You, that's what you sort of really focused your life on and become an authority on spotting patterns. What are the patterns telling us? You know, you said to me before the, the webinar started, you've looked at some patterns as far back as 1929 when we had the last crash, etc. I don't know if you want me to share my screen, uh, change uh, presenters to you, because you had some uh, 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 graphs that you wanted to show people. Yeah, I think it would be good, um, Scott, to just um, go through a couple of, of, um, of charts here, um, slides to, um, to share with everyone. Um, how do we? Well, I'm giving you, I'm giving you access, so you just say uh, accept, okay. and then it'll take you take control. Screen. And just while James is getting that up, if anyone's got any questions, please fire them through. I'm going to be moderating and trying to keep the flow of the conversation going. Um, if we, if, if I'll either ask the conversation while the person's speaking, or we'll round up to a Q&A um, uh, towards the end. Uh, we will try and answer all questions. Okay, which we showing my screen now? Yep, we've got your screen. If you can just put it in uh, in presentation mode. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we need to go through. You've already done the intro. Um, and we can perhaps come back to this. Um, now, what we do is provide forecasts on dollar, euro, and rand on the South African side, and then Bitcoin, gold, euro, and dollar index on the global side. Um, but with a promo for 
today on the dynamicforexsolutions.com. But just to get um, just something to share um, is, you know, what actually, what actually drives the markets, you know, how it works, and then the current global picture of recession or depression and our outlook on the currency stocks and cryptos, etc. Um, and just quite simply, is exactly what you said, Scott, is that um, weather patterns repeat themselves. If you look at, at any, any um, there's, there's cycles in, in nature, and one of those is, is weather patterns. And so as you can see here, um, we had these you know, hurricane season hitting the US. We've had um, able to predict those through understanding the, the laws that govern um, those patterns. And the more we understand those laws of nature, um, the more we are able to predict future patterns. And it's no different with um, us as humans because um, price patterns in markets are merely a reflection of emo emotionally charged um, decisions and actions, and we govern by the laws of human nature. So these patterns recur repeatedly just the same in smaller and larger degrees. And the more we understand those patterns and the laws of governance, the better we can <laughs> forecast the future patterns. So really uh, what we do is, I mean, it's based on Elliott Wave, which, which is the study of human behavior in financial markets. And just like you get all these trends in, in nature, the ebb and tide, growth and decay and so on, so you get it in, financial, in any financial market. And in essence, what we, we got here is that when persons are, um, are negative, we're sitting at a low and then the market moves up and down and up to where a point where there's neutrality and persons start getting more and more positive to a point where we're very positive. See these actually the wrong way around. But we reach a point where everyone has reached a um, an optimism or euphoria and there's no one to push the market further forward, further up. And then what happens is we get a correction of that in in five waves. <laughs> Sorry, in three waves of this trend. So we get a trend and then a counter trend and then the trend resumes. And another way of, of understanding that is with the fear and greed meter is that at a low point, um, there's extreme panic or actually despair. And as the market moves up, we get more to a neutral sentiment and then the point at the top here where there's extreme greed or euphoria and the market then capitulates and we get fear as we've had now um, and then eventually to a point of despair. And this is why it actually makes it very difficult to, to make um, objective decisions because at these points where everyone is positive, um, that's not when you incline to sell. When that is when you need to sell. And at the same time, when we get to these points of extreme fear and despair, 
everyone is negative and you yourself are negative, but at that point you actually need to be positive. So, you know, that, that's the science behind what we do. But the question is where we are now. Um, and just, uh, we're going to share a few slides there with you on that. Um, but to come back on those patterns, this is a forecast we did back in 2016, so two and a half years ago, where we showed the market was likely in, here we've had a five-wave move up, and then a five-wave in this last fifth wave, which was likely to uh, top out, this is the S&P, um, at that point it was 3 to 80, it actually went higher than that now, but what it looks like is we most likely have had a completed five-wave move up here um, in the S&P 500 or US stocks, and a similar situation with um, on the JSE that we were in a, a fifth wave of a fifth wave. So expecting a major decline from those levels. Um, and just the, to understand where we are um, and to what, with what the problem is, we need to go back to 1929. Um, and here we can see in the roaring 20s was um, this black line is a US debt as a percentage of GDP. That we had just had a credit expansion, a credit expansion to a point where the bubble burst. And then what we had is a crash and and deflation coming in all the way through to here before we started picking up again. And as you can see, well this would went to 2013, it's uh, the data it's published by the Fed is a bit different now, so I hadn't updated it. But we're actually at a worse point in terms of debt to GDP than we were back in 1929. And, you know, what the Fed is doing and everyone else is actually throwing more, more debt at it, um, which is not the solution. That's just adding to the problem. So we can see a global debt has swelled since... 2014 since 2007, yeah, um, and public debt has actually increased phenomenally compared with you know household private debt, which is pretty you know pretty much remained flat, but is still at high levels. So um, I think this is probably the picture to show. Um, if you look at this, this is a picture of the Dow Jones from here's 1929 all the way through to where we are now. Um, and if we look at this from a pattern perspective, we ended a pattern here in 1932. And that from there, we've had a one, two, three, four, five waves up which are now made up, made up of one, two, three, four, five. If that is the top, what happens in markets is that we're likely to come down into the previous fourth wave. So that's the minimum that we're looking at here. If 
we're looking at this these five waves. If this is a five wave move up from here, then we're likely coming down to these levels. So, I mean, these are quite shockers, Scott. Um, you know, we've already dropped 38%, but um, minimum we're looking at here is 72. But more likely, um, if this is the peak, um, stocks are going to drop by over 90%. So quite a picture, um, but in terms of whether we have actually topped or not, um, the, the outlook, out analysis is yes, we have. Um, but as we, we are presently here, it's looking like we could have a move up before, if we break below the low that we've seen, um, this past month, then definitely we have topped out, but there is a chance we could, not a chance, we could have a final fling up before we capitulate. So if we go back to 1929, um, we are most likely here, but there's a small chance that we are here, so with one more last um, Hurrah up. But, you know, just looking at sentiment, just general sentiment at the moment, um, I'd say we've reached, you know, um, fear and panic, but not despair, which would make it more likely that we are here rather than yeah. If that makes sense, Scott, on no, I'd say, we, you know, there are some more pictures um, or charts in view of some of the global markets, um, but I don't know whether we want to let's come, come, back, let's come, let's come back to them. I'll put, I'll put it back yeah. to them uh, just now. Um, yes. What I would like to what I'd like to do, and let's leave that, uh, we'll leave that slide up. David, from your perspective, you know, as someone that I've, I've always been fascinated by your uh, understanding of technology and where the world's going and the big macro, you know, picture and, and even cryptocurrencies, what do you take on on what James has just said around, um, you know, the global economy, um, fiat currencies? There's a lot of talk that you know cryptocurrencies are very volatile, but maybe their time is coming now as people are going to lose faith in fiat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What, what's your take on where the world is and where it might or might not be going? So um, I am not an expert in charts uh, and in patterns, uh, but I do look at, uh, like you said, uh, fundamentals uh, in not only uh, the, the, the stock market or, or the valuations of companies, but actually what, what is going on in the world. And uh, certainly uh, if... Uh, uh, black swans uh, are going to happen one after the other, um, as we, we we say, all bets are off, right? But uh, there are big differences between how the world was a hundred years ago and how it is now. Uh, the biggest difference is that uh, today we are eight billion people, and a uh, hundred years ago there were uh, two billion people uh, or less, and uh, that very simply means. 
that even if we do nothing else, just eating and housing and uh, healthcare and transportation, all these industries uh, have fundamentals for products and services to gather to the fundamental needs of four times as many people. To me, that says that uh, if stocks go down 99%, they will represent a huge buying opportunity because that wouldn't be justified by the fact that 8 billion people need to, to, to do all those things that I listed. Now, uh, going into the second part of your question, with regards of, uh, uh, of uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and, and, and blockchain applications, um, it is a very um, common, actually universal feature of exponential trends that uh, on, on, on one hand, we had a hard time wrapping our heads around them. But when we are recognizing them as such, we are um, going to overreact at the beginning, those of us who believe in their power. Uh, and then when, when they are at a point where uh, they are overtaking us, even if we are planning for them, we are going to be very surprised or, 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 or even thrown into chaos uh, because all of our planning wasn't sufficient for understanding the um, uh, the consequences of of these phenomena, and um, obviously we are very right in the middle of one of those. Uh, uh, there has been almost no country that has been able to properly plan for uh, the COVID nineteen uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, there are less than a handful of exceptions: uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, to some extent, South Korea, maybe Germany, and and I am not aware of any 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 other. Uh, one of the worst, uh, it looks like, is is the United States of America that uh, had uh, two months um, advance notice and did nothing to minimize the impact, uh, the negative impact on 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 their population. So. Uh, just like the internet has been a fundamental technology on top of which over the course of 30, 40, 50 years, because to a lot of uh, people watching this webinar, maybe it looks like the internet is only five or 10 years old because that is when it started impacting their lives. The internet is actually 50, 60 years old. And uh, just as the internet took time to build, but now it has profoundly disrupted almost every possible corner of the economy, and it has impacted uh, net positively the lives of, of billions of peoples. people. Similarly, um, cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin and blockchain applications are going to take time. It has been 10 years, and some people are saying, oh, uh, it is too slow. Fewer and fewer people are saying, oh, it is a scam. It is just like the Dutch tulip mania. It is going to go to zero. And to those people who are so fundamentally skeptical, I ask, don't you think that the time we are in right now would have been the perfect moment for Bitcoin to go to zero if it were a scam? Who cares about Bitcoin 
if it has no real value, no staying power during a pandemic. And yes, it would have. It did go down from its uh, uh, all-time high exchange rate with the US dollar, for sure. But it hasn't crashed. Uh, it, its network is performing uh, as uh, solidly as ever. So what I predict is that as more and more people are going to learn about it, build applications on top of it, prove that it is valuable, the more its value is going to increase because of the network effect uh, of, of users uh, wanting to uh, get on board uh, with the technology and the knowledge and the power that it represents. Excellent. No, thank you very much, David. You know, Ken, from your perspective as, a, as an investment banker, you've heard the, the the, the forecasts in terms of sentiment. David's obviously given the uh, forecasts in terms of uh, current, uh, not so much currencies, but technology and cryptocurrency, etc. What is your thoughts on what's actually happening in the financial markets? A black swan. David mentioned a black swan, but what is a black swan, and uh, and what do you, what do you where do you see the financial markets going? Thanks, Scott. So so um, surprising to see your opening slide um, with regard to Napoleon. Because down the down the line of uh, uses information, Napoleon's second wife was uh, a woman called Marie Louise. She was an 18-year-old, and uh, she had a, a menagerie of animals. And Napoleon brought her the only two breeding uh, the only breeding pair of black swans. And in fact, they are heralded as the key European uh, breeding pair that uh, that um, has has supplied the whole of Europe with uh, with black swans. In actual fact. Black Swan theory came, you know, many, many centuries before that as another hypothesis in that there were no black swans and basically um, that was proved incorrect and there were black swans. What, uh, what is a black swan? Well, it's, a, it's an event that occurs that is unforeseen. So, 97 was the Asian crisis, 98 was the Russian crisis, 2000 was the dot-com boom-bust, 2002, funny enough, was... Uh, was the SARS crisis, which also originated in China. As the gentlemen have uh, alluded to, 2007-2008 was a global financial crisis. Now you get other black swans, other crises that are manifesting um, on the basis of the togetherness of um, social media. So for example, 2011 was the Arab Spring. That was a social uprising in which people, for the first time um, in, in the Muslim faith, um, tended to find a voice. Um, what about 216, Donald Trump? Who would have guessed? What about 217, Brexit and Boris? I mean, which is worse? Um, you know, to, uh, January 20 is uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and the resulting uh, difficulties that have occurred. Around all of this, there are uh, fundamentals and their technicals. And what you've heard is a technical analysis um, from James and what David's done is he's actually fit into that from a fundamental perspective. What has really happened um, in, in global markets? Well, as, uh, as James pointed out, basically into December, you were actually fairly toppy in global markets, but you went into a new decade. And in going into that new decade, global markets actually started relatively bullish. 
in January, COVID-19 was, was identified in, in China. And the first indication that it was serious was the extension of their uh, New Year's holiday. And, and we know this well because our colleagues are you know, based there and, and they had a three-day extension. What happened? This is exactly back into the sentiment argument that we've heard from, uh, from James. That affects sentiment. So consumer confidence took a hit. With, con uh, with, with that, you've got global repatriation starting to begin. When this happens and you, you have a black swan that's unforeseen, the thing that it affects with sentiment is volatility of markets. And so, of course, you have a volatility spine. And then what you find is a market sell-off starts to begin. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's unprecedented. I mean, uh, you've had the MECI World uh, Equity Index off 34% in 28 trading days and then up 11% in two days. It's just unprecedented movements, just crazy movements. This was a free fall into um, a liquidity vacuum, meaning that really what was happening is there was all sellers and there were no buyers. And of course, that then precipitated a huge response from central banks starting to pump funds into the global financial system to ensure efficient liquidity was brought for all the asset class, uh, all the asset classes, you know, from debt, credit, interest rates, markets, and get the, the, the markets functioning properly. Um, and, and into uh, monetary policy. So I, I think I'll stop there because I can address sort of monetary policy changes globally for you in a, in, in, in a later point. Excellent. No, thanks very much. Uh in for that. So let's move to um, Brendan in America, and then we'll come back to Alex. Brendan, we were together two, two weeks or so ago, and um, you were talking about what's happening in the American property markets and even what's happening with American banks from a lending perspective. Um, give us a, give us an update, you know, what, what's happening on the ground around property. I read a thing yesterday saying, has the Fed by mistake caused a housing crash? What's happening in the American market? Yeah, so, so Scott, it's it's absolute chaos at the moment. Um, there's lots of fear. There's lots of greed starting to come out as well. There's lots of love coming out as well. There's there's uh, you know people giving deferments uh, to their tenants, allowing them to to take a three month payment holiday. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the states, and it's obviously a very very big market. So I thought I'd give um, a bit of overview on the on the macro level. And then just tell some stories about what's going on in, in our actual portfolio and how we're dealing with it. And maybe that'll give some insights into, uh, in, into what's going on. So, so, I mean, at the moment, um, the, the hierarchy of risks, so to speak, in the, in the uh, markets in the U.S. In, in real estate is retail and hospitality are taking an absolute hammering. Um, as you know, hospitals are, are full and hospitality is empty. So um, there's a lot of talk about in Seattle, for example, uh, one of the hotels was actually um, rented out by the government to use as, a, as an extra hospital uh, and turned into ICU beds. Um, on the retail side, shopping centers are empty. Uh, Amazon's obviously doing really well with their deliveries, but they're also having a lot of pushback from their staff because um, uh, their staff are saying they're not being protective enough, and a lot of them are actually going on strike. Uh, but Amazon's hiring 100,000 people at the moment. Uh, Walmart's hiring about 100,000 people. CVS stores is hiring 
uh, about 80,000 people. So, so those sort of pharmacy single pad sites are doing very, very well. Um, our American renal sites and our Fresenius sites are doing very well. Um, and one of those main reasons those medical ones are doing well is you don't miss uh, a renal care session. You know, if you don't have your dialysis, it's very, very, very serious. Um, so uh, the government typically pays for that. And I mean, our tenants are paying on time. Uh, you know, yesterday was the first and our tenants paid without any issues. So, so that's going on. Um, industrial, strangely enough, is still doing very well. Developments are, are continuing, uh, but they're struggling with workforces and having to keep sort of 10 to 15 people on a site and having to keep social distancing rules and stuff in place. And then Georgia and Florida just went on full lockdown as of tomorrow. So obviously construction sites will stop. So the knock-on effect of this is really going to be, uh, to, to put it bluntly, catastrophic. Um, and the, the opportunity that comes out of it is, is really going to be something incredible. One thing I will say, though, is that the, the two asset classes that seem to be riding this out uh, in the best form possible is multifamily, which I happen to be in, and medical, which we did a lot of medical together, and, and I own some medical stuff uh, in our portfolio. And what's interesting about it is you've got to be careful which sector of medical, because if you're in senior living at the moment, it's taking an absolute beating because, and it's about 60% discount in the REIT market at the moment, uh, because everybody's scared that it's going to have the biggest impact on that age group um, in terms of the virus impact. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but on the multifamily side is where is everybody getting locked down to? They're getting locked down to their house. Um, so it's a basic fundamental human need. As, and as long as people keep providing a basic fundamental human need that's affordable, uh, you will always have tenants. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to have a, an easy ride of this. We've been um, in... Uh, sort of chaos management meetings for the last three weeks. Every single day, we're micromanaging every single property. Um, we've got over 1,200 tenants that we have to deal with and across various economic landscapes, um, from oil and gas to uh, to the Delta Airlines sort of area. We've got a property right next to the airport in, in Atlanta. Um, and strangely enough, our collections are tracking uh, in terms of March's collections, we're tracking exactly on, online with February. And April's collections so far for the first two days are tracking pretty much on par with March's collections. So what we realize is most companies have paid their staff. So far, there have been a lot of um, a lot of staff let go, but they've received retrenchment packages and that type of stuff. So they still have a little bit of money and they're paying their rent. And then what we're also seeing is the, the federal government just put in place a stimulus package. And what I found amazingly interesting on, on um, James's graphs earlier is the the sentiment and the and the movements on the Elliott wave theory are showing that it is probably going to be a downturn and I agree with that 100% but obviously they're fighting that downturn with huge stimulus packages and to give an example like the total stimulus package uh, estimate of money spent in the 2008 crisis was 831 billion dollars and they the total stimulus package now that they've just launched instantly was 2 trillion dollars and if you add them up on the previous $700 billion that was launched and the, the tax incentives and all of that stuff that they're putting in place right now, is it's adding up to about $4 trillion. Now, $4 trillion is a hell of a lot of money. And how it's going to trickle down, for example, one of the ways it's going to be um, spent is people are going to get physical checks. So if you earn less than $75,000 a year, 
you're going to get $600 a week for the next, I think it's uh, three months, roughly. Um, and then obviously, if you earn more money, you'll get less money from the government. Uh, but I mean, $75,000 a year is five, $6,000 a month, uh, maybe a little bit more than $6,000 a month. And on that kind of money, they're giving people uh, $600 a week. Um, and you'd think that if somebody was earning five to $6,000 a month, they'd have some sort of money to be able to write through uh, a two to three month layoff kind of scenario. But it's it's pretty scary because, um, you know, last week they, they had the the unemployment numbers and they jumped 3.3 uh, million people um, in March. Now that's very, very scary because it's effectively, you know, 1% of the, of the US population. So they went from 4% unemployed to 5% unemployed in one to two months, which is very scary. And some of the economists are predicting north of 20% unemployment, which would be absolutely catastrophic. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if the US finds itself in a situation where it can print its own money and, and have its own currency hold the debt, uh, they're in a very powerful position, especially when they're perceived around the world as a safe haven asset. So when chaos is playing out, the dollar gets stronger, which is interesting because they can almost print as much money as they want and their currency is getting stronger. Now, what's also happening in the lending market is absolute chaos. They are squashing deals, they're retrading deals, they're um, forcing people to put more money into deals. So where you could get an 80% loan to value on a good multifamily asset four weeks ago, you're now looking at 65% loan to value. The spreads are getting much wider. So the spread is the difference between the LIBOR or the US Treasury rates um, and what they actually uh, end up charging. So let's say the US Treasury is at 1%, it's at sub 1% at the moment. Um, and the spreads 3%, you're going to end up paying 4% if they peg you against the, the US Treasury. What's happening at the moment is they're averaging out at about 45 to 5%, but they're putting in place some ridiculous clauses. For example, it, it's typically 60 to 65% loan to value, but they also want up to 18 months expenses preloaded into, into a reserve account and 18 months interest reserve preloaded into a reserve account. So they're being very, very hard on the lending side. What's also happening is lenders are, are going with um, fast customers only and not accepting new customers. So if you don't have a, a track record with a lender, you're not going to be able to, to lend from them. Um, the, the Freddie Macs and the Fannie Mae say they're open for business, but they're putting in place those ridiculous um, clauses. And then they're also trying to provide to existing guys that have bonds, they're trying to provide um, deferment packages where you're allowed to uh, not pay for three months, effectively 90 days, and then you have to repay that. Uh, if you are able to prove that you've been impacted by COVID, you can get that um, from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae at the moment, but you have to repay that deferment value in the next 12 months. But you're not allowed to evict anybody in that period while you're repaying them that money, which creates almost like an Excel circular reference kind of system where you've got a problem where you can't evict people that don't pay, but you also have to increase your income to be able to repay the, the increase in the bond amount in the next 12 months after your deferment period. So it's not really helping anybody at this point in time, uh, but what we all know is they're not going to be able to foreclose on everybody that misses one or two payments at the same time. It will just create even more pain. So 
what all the lenders are saying privately on private calls is that they'll work with us uh, continually to get through this um, and they're not going to foreclose on anybody because they know that they can't go and take over the management of those properties themselves. They don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the abilities, um, and they learned the valuable lesson in 2008 that if they just try and foreclose on everybody, especially all at the same time. 2008 played itself out over three, four, five years. And I want to finish, I, I know there's been quite a lot of information quite quickly. I just wanted to cover as much as possible in a short amount of time because we've got so many panelists on here that have got such valuable information to share. But I want to finish with one story. And and the story is this, is, is we started this um, US journey together, Scott, in about 2012. Uh, I'd already bought one or two properties in 2011. And the reason I bought them was because the 2008 crisis created an unprecedented opportunity from before that to be able to buy properties at a discount. And it allowed me to get into the market with a small amount of money that I had at that particular time. And then as a result of that, we were able to help a lot of other people get the benefits over the last uh, eight, nine, 10 years. And it's obviously played out very well for those that took action very early because their prices moved significantly. Houses we bought for $100,000 or something for 200, 220 now. And obviously the rand moved from 9, 10 rand to 18 rand 55 as it was today. So they've got a double whammy benefit if they're still, still living in rands um, by the you know decrease in value in the rand and the appreciation in the property while they were collecting dollar-based income. So where we sit at the moment is in our own portfolio, we're um, actively managing all our tenants to make sure that our collections are on point. Anybody that is affected, we're not allowed to evict them right now. The courts are closed. The, um, so we're, we're managing it. And what we're saying to them is we will give them a deferment program. We've got a lot of paperwork drawn up really quickly by the attorneys uh, to help them through that. And obviously, we're getting a little bit of help from our lenders. But what we're doing is we're keeping the lenders at bay for now where we're actually going to keep paying them the normal mortgage rate uh, um, that we have to pay. And then if it gets significantly worse in May or June, well, then we're going to go to them and say, okay, now we need help. But while we still don't need help, we're going to still keep paying. And that's my story. And I think the opportunity that's coming now is going to be incredible to be able to pick up properties at discounted rates in future. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brendan. I, I certainly that was my experience from 2008, 2009. And one of the principal reasons we created the wealth migrate was because of the opportunities that existed in 2008, 2009, but we didn't have the buying power of the institutions. Alex, from your perspective, you're, you're a property developer, you're, you're based in the UK. Um, you, you, as I said earlier, you, I'm on your site here, and you've also got extensive uh, information for people. Um, in terms of you know all the different areas, how to you know the development process and the due diligence and everything. So you also love to share and teach people. Tell us a little bit around what's happening in the UK market uh, and what one can expect in in these times. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to thank the other panelists. They've perfectly set me up to tell all of our all of the investors why commercial and residential property is the best asset class and not stocks and shares and forex. So thank you very much, James. Um, no, but all, all joking aside, uh, obviously the COVID-19 and the recent crisis has had a big impact on the commercial market and the residential market. And you know the, the fact that James was talking about that we could see a 90% loss 
in stocks also boisters what we're talking about is having commercial property and residential property as a, a solid alternative asset class and i think you know most people in this group in the investment group obviously also back that as well now over the last month i've been working a lot with um some kind of with with property experts in the field we work with CoreStar, which is kind of one of the, the world's biggest information and analytics um, resources for commercial property and also with uh, the likes of Taylor Capital, Dan Taylor, who, who's quite big in the commercial scene. We've just been trying to analyse what is the best, you know, where are the best opportunities for investors and for businesses in, in this market within the UK sector. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of movement for those in the UK who are not aware of the UK. Very similar to what David was talking about, there's been a lot of stimulus from the government. We've had over £330 billion, which is roughly 15% of the GDP, pumped into economy to support um, SMEs, businesses, and obviously um, everyone throughout that sector, uh, self-employed as well, uh, as well as um, employed normally. So, you know, there's a lot of drive to try and get businesses through this kind of uh, this period. But unavoidably, there's been a lot of CBAs and collapses of business, uh, Bright House, Laura Ashley, uh, some of the more recent ones and you know expect a lot more public facing ones to go quite similar now when i was putting this together i wanted to try and add as much value to the investors and, and, the, and the community as possible we came up with a couple of principles and i want to touch on the commercial opportunity because within USA we look at commercial opportunities which tie in the back end to a residential piece and then I will talk a little bit about the residential at, at the end um, so people can kind of get a good understanding. But I think very much in this market, like most people know, they've got to follow the royal principles is what I've called it. Now, being British, royals, it makes sense. But essentially, what royal principles mean is cash is king, income is queen. And in this kind of market, I think they've also touched on how banks are tightening up their lending right now. Um, so having cash and having the ability such as what Wealth Migrate offers is a really good way to take advantage of a lot of properties coming back on the market. There's a lot of deals which can't close right now. There's a lot of people who are running away scared. Uh, there's a lot of deals recycling and people are only looking at cash lending because, you know, some of the some of the biggest high street chains, HSBC, for instance, uh, have just shut the doors. You know, a lot of challenger banks have just said, nope. No more, no more lending. So if you haven't got your application in, we're not going to give you any more. So real having access to that cash is going to produce some really good opportunities. That said, buying properties which are empty is going to offer some really big risk as well. As we're seeing, you know, the CBA piece, we're seeing a lot of tenants um, defaulting on rents. We're seeing a lot of tenants asking for rent holidays. So you've got to be very careful about. Uh, who you're going to bring in and locking in income from day one with existing tenants is really, really important. So having the cash to buy it, but then buying smartly. And what we're trying to do is when you say buy smartly, it's about staying away from the public facing side of the service industry or hospitality, retail, you know, anything on those sides is, going to be, is suffering right now uh, as we're seeing a lot of shop closures uh, for instance Arcadia Group who one of the biggest in the UK has shut down 500 shops across the whole of the retail sector so you know there's a lot of closures that side 
where you want to be and where people want to be looking around is trying to get some really strong tenants in there. And what we see strong right now are your typical low cost, um, your your supermarket, your retailers that are offering products, your co-ops, for instance, uh, your McCall's, but more importantly, government bodies. And government bodies is not just you know the government themselves, as the NHS, the HSE. There's a lot of different subsidiaries that come off the back of that. Um, as we move out of the COVID-19 situation and a bit of normality resumes, stick with your low-cost food services. You know, Greg's is a really good example. Uh, coffee, cost of coffees are always very good tenants to have, um, and and those going to have uh, you know almost recession-proof as has been proven in 2008. And you want to be able to get this is a, in terms of short-term plays. Those are the kind of assets. That uh, and the tenants that you want in. Now, in terms of short-term opportunities, there's a lot of distressed assets coming on, on the market. A lot of them are in administration, a lot of landlord struggles. It was funny, I was just talking to an investor of mine yesterday, sorry, an investor, a colleague of mine yesterday. He was looking to bid on a property on Allsop's auction website and had monthly auction a couple of days ago. There was 110 commercial assets, three sold out of that auction. So you can see how much fear there is, but how much opportunity is to then go back to those landlords who were hoping to sell those assets and really strip back some opportunity in there. So, you know, there's a really, like I said, going back to these royal principles, cash is queen, but making sure you've got income day one uh, is really important. And I'm going to touch on that and how we're looking at the residential side. Um, what I would say from the commercial side as well, there is you've got the short-term opportunities which COVID-19 and this global crisis are throwing up, but there's also the mid-term opportunities. And we see that very much centered around logistic-based companies. Uh, light industry, for instance, there's gonna be a real resurgence in that. And you know, working with CoStar, they see that there's gonna be a really big push in central Scotland where the kind of commercial prices, the capital value, the light industry is very low, um, but there is a real need to build um, hubs and logistic bases, such for the likes of supermarkets, Amazon, and also sea haulage firms as we come out of the back of Brexit. Within the next couple of years, you're going to see a real big explosion in the light industry sector, and picking correctly some spaces there could see some really big benefits. The other two areas, and um, one I'm going to deep dive on just for the next five minutes. Um, the first one is dark kitchens, and it's something a lot of people are like, what the hell is a dark kitchen? You truly want light in your kitchen. Uh, not what it sounds like, but what we're finding now is with the rise of technology and your um, your apps such as, you know, Fifty Eats and Deliveroo, um, Uber Eats, what this is now forcing a lot of restaurants and obviously the back end of COVID-19, what it's forcing a lot of restaurants to do is think about how to centralize their, their offering such that deliveries can be a lot quicker, a lot smarter, and there's a lot of reduced overheads. But you find in big restaurants, maybe, um, you know, your Nando's or your Jamie Oliver's, maybe Jamie Oliver's not a great example, but they're now moving to more industrial-based sites Whereas a lot easier for logistics wise for delivery drivers to come in and then disperse. So this set up just purely for food. They're not front facing for the for general public, they're just there to deliver. And you're going to see a lot of spaces which were maybe light industry previously, 
or where not fit for purpose being repackaged into these darker kitchens. Now, the other space which I think is more interesting and what I really want to kind of speak to the community about today is office spaces. And office spaces, I think, are going to offer the biggest potential, and especially for developers or those who have a solid back-end uh, exit strategy. Now, just like I was speaking to you guys before, it's still very important. If you're going to buy commercial opportunity these days, you still need to follow those royal principles. Cash is king to get a good deal, and income day one, which is the queen, yeah? But where we can then differentiate ourselves is by um, having a really strong back end. So not just relying on, you know, getting an office space and renewing the lease, uh, you know, to a nice big oil and gas firm or to, a, you know, your Barclays Bank or to BT Telecoms. Those days are moving. Uh, what we're going to see now, especially in the UK, is a complete shift away from long leases. The gone are the days of the five and ten year leases. They're going to be much more flexible, and they're going to be pushed towards a profit share, similar to what's happening. You know what actually happens in America, and like most of the world, there'll be a lot more working together and collaboration between tenants and landlords. There won't be fixed price. You know, and here's your rent for the year. It'll be okay. Well, if we do well, we'll give you a share of the rent. So those things are going to quite quickly go, and so we got to have another offering which, you know, as, a, as an extra strategy, which is which is really capable. And development is that space. And the UK is going to really, really need that space more than ever at the back end of COVID-19. And so what we're seeing now, and, you know, if, I, you know, if you look at the leasing market in 2019 and 2020, leasing is an all-time low. Vacant, a lot of vacancy rates are at an all-time high. And this is for grade A, Grade B and Grade C. So Grade A, you're like all nice Uber posh um, places. Grade C is maybe like the stuff you, you see in the 60s and 70s. But we're seeing that the, the, the vacancy rates are dropping down, but also net absorption rates uh, are dropping down. Now, for those who may be thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Net absorption is just the physical space which is created uh, and it's on the market is actually being taken. And it was quite high, so we had a positive net absorption rate, but we're now forecasted in this year, especially with what's going on, to have a negative, which means there's an oversupply uh, of office space. Now, what we're also going to see, and I'm, I'm sure everyone can agree here, is COVID-19 is game-changing the operational rules for offices. So as more and more people uh, flock into Zoom uh, and go webinar, and other similar fintech uh, of uh, technology um, applications to work from home, a lot of business owners, a lot of tenants are probably going to see and ask themselves, why the hell are we spending so much money on uh, office space when we can get just as much uh, efficiency from our workforce and reduce our overheads? So we're going to see an even bigger surge of office space coming back onto the market, and especially grade B and grade C, uh, where I feel that will start moving into an extinction zone. And there's going to be a lot of worried landlords who are sitting on grade B and C stock who won't know what to do with it. And as that capital value drives down, that provides a really big opportunity um, within the community and for also developers. Really grab hold of that space and then repurpose it and make, make something really good of it. Now, just as that grade B space goes up, 
we're going to see a rise of co-working and more flexible service office space. Now, service office space has, when I won't be it'll be more this profit share mentality where you're working with local business operators to provide some real uh, value to the community. But grade B, grade C go down, co-working goes up, and um, you know smaller units, smaller units for uh, smaller SMEs and business owners to have, which are lower than the, the business rate threshold, um, they're going to be really popular then. As I was saying, how does this all link back to residential? Well, as we see this kind of splurge of office space come onto the market, there's going to be a real pressure from local authorities and the government to repurpose this because they're going to sit vacant, they're going to go into dilapidation, they're going to have a lot of problems. The local planning authorities will then have the pressure to do something with this, to change their use classes from uh, an office space to maybe into retail or another uh, commercial aspect or also residential. And by you know looking at that that extra long-term play, we then at USA are very much prepared for this kind of splurge of office space to come in and offer investors some really good opportunities. And I think this is a really exciting time because we can maybe get hold of an office space with a tail end lease. What I mean by that is the tenants are still in their bound conditions for a year or two. In that time, you can then get work proactively with your planning authorities, with with uh, public-private partnerships, with your local councils or local social housing authorities, put a scheme together that after that lease is finished, you can go straight into the into the construction and development phase. You've gone back to back, uh, great income coming in from day one, which you can offer back to investors as security uh, and an additional dividend almost, and straight into the back end of, uh, of the development and provide that. Uh, offering to the market. Now, Alex, what you would say Alex, what's quite interesting with the co-working spaces, but uh, someone should create a platform where those tenants could invest uh, through the platform in the, in the property. I want to, uh, I'm conscious of time, I'm just going to, yeah, I'll, yeah, come, I'll come back to you basically. Um, James, with, uh, with regards to yourself, I, uh, I've always been fascinated by your, by your different uh, predictions and, and uh, if anyone hasn't seen it before, I downloaded this literally uh, a day or two ago. Um, you've always got the short-term outlook. This is the US dollar to Tsar. I know you do it, uh, so US dollar to Rand, but I know you do it on different currencies. You've got the short-term, the uh, next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, and then the long-term. A lot of our clients are saying to us, look, the Rand has spiked. It's, you know, I don't even know what it is right now, 18, 30, you know, it was 15, not even so long ago, two, three months ago. and. Uh, and, and they're saying to us, what should they do? Should they wait? Should they, should they, you know, get their money out now? Is it going to be 50? You know, what, what do you think people should be doing? Um, I don't know if, uh, if I can use my screen or if you want me to share back my screen to you. Can't hear you, James. Yeah, Scott, I think perhaps let me share my, my screen, my, um, better. There we 
on the right one, yeah? Came up and now it disappeared again. Where is it? Where is it going again? Up there we are. Yep. So we're on the US dollar to saw medium term outlook. Yeah. So what we've seen here, we um, we've actually pushed um, a higher out, a shorter term outlook. We're actually up to about um, eighteen seventy, which we were at about eighteen sixty five earlier today. Um, but the overall picture that is not um, too much different from this. We're expecting we could test 19. Um, there is high resistance level there. And basically from there, there's two possibilities. The one is that we have some retracement down to sort of, um, you know, 16, 50 level, maybe a bit less before we push still higher. Um, but the, the alternative is that that is going to be quite a long-term high and we should see some substantial replacement um, following that, with this 15, 17 level being pivotal. So as long as we, as long as we, we um, keep above that, then this is likely a continuing uptrend. But if we break below that, then we should see a, quite a substantial um, correction back down to you know, 13 sort of levels. And I mean, this and, is your medium to long term outlook. What do you think, what do you see happening over the next three to six months? Um, the next three to six months, I see, is probably going to be this retracement here. Um, you know, which the, the actual the the um, the strength and the structure of that pattern will give us some indication as to whether it is a a um, just a correction or whether we're heading um, a lot further down. But one one thing with that is to to understand why that could happen is um, the the dollar outlook um, is this is our long-term dollar outlook. The dollar index we hit this high just about um, a couple of weeks back of one at two seventy-five. But what we're looking at there is that we had this move down, this leg down, uh, leg up here, and now we're having the next leg down in terms of um, downward cycle. And based on projections, it's looking like the dollar could halve its value over the next few years. Um, sure. Which would, which what, have the euro or the pound or what? Well, the, it's, this is against a basket of currencies, um, which is the, uh, the effectively the, the dollar's trading, trading partners. So, um, if you look at the, the euro side of things, just, um, it's actually strengthened quite significantly from these low levels we see. So you know, on the, just on the dollar dollar rand side, we're likely to see quite a quite a pullback um, over the next yeah, two three months, perhaps longer. 
fascinating, you know, when, when one looks at this, you know, it's it's uh, it would be useful if someone had a platform where you could invest in different asset classes and different currencies so that you could uh, lend it. Uh, I want to move to, uh, to, to David. David, you've been uh, in Italy, and as you said, you've been at the epicenter of, of what be, what's been happening with, with coronavirus, etc. And, you know, we've been talking quite a lot about adoption. And what I mean by adoption is that there's a great, uh, there's a great graph, um, in, in, you know, just that typical adoption curve graph. I'll, I'll get it up while I'm talking. And what, 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 what do you see happening with everyone, you know, being, being forced to stay at home, being forced to go online? How is, how is the way of life in Italy changing from the lessons you've learned from Italy? But more importantly, how do you see the world post-coronavirus? Not only in Italy, but for the rest of us. Absolutely. Uh, why don't we take off uh, James's uh, screen and uh, the video alone is fine. Uh, we don't need a, a, a chart for you to, to share. Um, uh, definitely, uh, the, the, the world is in the middle of multiple uh, stages and multiple phases of transformation. And uh, um, it is something that uh, does not happen uh, all the time. And when it happens, we remember that. We remember as a watershed. We remember as a phase transformation. And um, according to, to many who are starting to think exactly what it is going to be uh, what is the world going to look like after uh, the pandemic is over, uh, they, they start to think that uh, it will be characterized by, by many, many, many differences. Uh, the most apparent and, and the, the, the one that, uh, that is so easy to see is that those companies that uh, uh, were still crossing their fingers and wanted the internet to be a fad wake up from the nightmare and for it to, to have gone away and uh, digitization and digitalization of, of their processes not to have to happen ever, now they are uh, in a crash course of digitization. Uh, Zoom uh, used to have uh, 10 million um, uh, daily users uh, in December on average. Uh, today, they have 200 million daily users on average, right? A 20-fold increase uh, in the use of, of, of their software. Um, and, and the same uh, with streaming services, uh, uh, as well as uh, billions of people who are uh, thankful and grateful if they are able to work from home, discovering that it is possible that let alone uh, and 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 let's not uh, uh, worry about uh, issues of of uh, uh, it infrastructure and security and and data confidentiality very very important things but the culture of distributed teams where it is not just a tiny percentage of nerds who insist that they can code from home and everybody um, looks at them as, as weirdos, but 100% of the workforce is at home and, and uh, top management and middle management have to realize that their value is not in breathing down the neck of somebody because if they are not uh, um, 
driven uh, like a, like a slave uh, uh, rowing in a boat, uh, they will they will slack off. That there are loyal and passionate uh, uh, people in the organization, those managers have to prove their value, and and that is that is uh, a, a, an important cultural shift. And there will be others as well. What is going to happen if and when uh, the uh, restrictions uh, in the free movement of people are lifted before everybody is immunized? And it is guaranteed it will be like that. Is the workforce going to split into officially recognized classes? One of them who are immunized, all the usual rights apply. And the second class of the workforce are those who have the bad luck of not having fallen ill soon enough. And now they are second class participants, which everybody is shunning. Am I going to visit my mother for the next two years, afraid that the meeting a week ago infected me and I'm going to kill her? Uh, we don't have answers to these uh, questions yet. And at the same time, while all this turmoil is happening and our culture is fundamentally shifting and our mindset too, uh, where, for example, uh, the testing ability we are developing accelerate. And in 10 years, we will look back to today wondering how could we live in a barbaric time where we could enter a school or an office building or a, a, a shopping center without having been tested against a hundred pathogens and we would just shed hundreds of millions of viruses and bacteria unthinkingly what a incredibly filthy time to be alive that will be our mindset as we look back to today right but while all this incredible change is happening the unrelenting transformation of technology is still going along. Solar energy, the electrification of transportation, the almost impossible uh, shift that traditional uh, companies have in order to embrace this, whether they are building internal, uh, internal combustion engine cars, whether they are uh, uh, shipping companies uh, transporting oil from one end to the other of the world, these are going to go bankrupt uh, in, in, in almost their totality. And it is not going to be due to the coronavirus. It is going to be due to phenomena that have started already decades ago, but now they are exploding on the consciousness of, of, uh, uh, of, of everybody because... Um, it will be crazy to buy a, an old-style car when the electric car is cheaper, is more reliable, has many, many more uh, uh, features, uh, and and uh, it is just the normal thing to do. So um, it is uh, important, I think, uh, as as we always remark, to make sure that uh, that our uh, holdings are as diversified as possible because to say I know what is going to happen and you can bet on it 
is exactly that. It's just a very, very risky bet. And uh, I, I think that what you are telling uh, our viewers uh, that uh, the diversified income streams of wealth migrate, the geographical diversification of uh, uh, the investment opportunities, these are excellent starting points for creating portfolios that uh, are going to uh, support uh, uh, the people holding them to ride out uh, turbulent times that are necessarily uh, going to be ahead of us. And, of course, we can cross our fingers uh, to find uh, business leaders and political leaders who have charismatic messages to spread of empowerment and emancipation of uh, uh, solidarity and support of empathy and and uh, uh, human dignity. If we find those and and we vote for them uh, either in the uh, board of directors uh, meetings or at uh, the democratic elections that we hold, then uh, we will build a society that will be resilient regardless of what kind of uh, violent uh, uh, new uh, tests we will uh, be put in front of. Uh, if, on the other hand, uh, we vote for divisiveness, pettiness, uh, lies, and and uh, uh, treacherous uh, behaviors, uh, then we can accelerate uh, destruction and self-destruction. So uh, we are free to go one way or the other, and uh, many countries will try one or the other, and then we can look at them and uh, say, oh, that's great. That's what we want to emulate. Or, well, that didn't work out that well. We should stay away. Fascinating, David. So we, we've all got a choice. And uh, I love I love what you say there. And I'm not going to talk about it tonight. I did a webinar on uh, on Tuesday night, actually, about this adoption curve and how, you know, if you take just Zoom as an example, it was people like you and I that liked to work from home and didn't like to have to go to an office. And so we early adopters from a pleasure perspective, but now coronavirus creates pain and uh, and people move four times more away from pain. So it's, it's really, really interesting. Ken, from your perspective, you know, when you look at quantitative easing and you look at the debts, you know, there's quite a few questions coming through about the debt and, and where, you know, not only what is quantitative easing and what is it doing, what is the government stimulus but, but where do you see it going over the next 10 years? You know, we can't just keep pumping credit into the system. Yes, yeah, so, so lots, um, lots of things to, to answer there, Scott. You know, um, in, in terms of both, uh, I think, James's comments and, uh, and David's. So, you know, what, you know what, what did, you know, governments do from a monetary perspective? And what did they do fiscally? So, you know, so from a monetary perspective, it gave uh, the... Uh, the ability of um, governments to recalibrate um, in terms of um, uh, new forms of monetary policy. So massive, uh, never before seen, um, sort of eye-watering uh, injections of quantitative easing. We saw in the US and the UK, for example, and, and obviously everyone is on the other side of the credit cycle, we saw, um, you know, rates down in the U.S. to, you know, between uh, zero and and uh, 0.25% in the U.K. lowest ever at 0.1%. At, uh, um, what this does is, um, and and combined with that, to go back to um, Brendan's point, 
we're also seeing unprecedented levels of unemployment, you know, because if I'm not mistaken, you know, Brendan was correct in, in quoting the 3 million unemployment. I think the top level of unemployment back in the crisis in the US was about 650,000. So there's a, you know, so there's a there, there's some significant dips there. What what does it do? Well, it's going to precipitate a, um, a global recession, and um, and from that global, you know, out of this, we're going to be looking at massive debt burdens. Now, I think a couple of the measures that you could look at um, is 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 things like debt to GDP, but actually for um, emerging markets. So you know, the comments that we had from James around South Africa. You'd have to um, you'd have to consider those in the context of, and, and he was talking about um, a fourth in the in the dollar versus uh, the rand, for example. You've got to consider that in the um, in the context of sovereign ratings, because you know you sit in a in a situation in South Africa where you've got a sort of a sixty six percent debt to GDP. Um, uh, you know, in in uh, but rates in South Africa are at 5.2%. If you look at the UK, we're sitting at 80% debt to GDP, but rates are at 10 basis points. You know, you multiply 80% by 10 basis points if you want to do apples with apples, multiply multiply 66% by um, by 5.2%, you can see the, the differentials. So, you know, I, I suppose the concern is, um, is, is who has the ammunition to actually um, move move through this in South Africa's context specifically, and, and it's just, just because James has mentioned it, I know this is a global call. Um, my biggest concern is you're running twin deficits, you do not have any money in the coffers, and you've just gone to a sovereign rating of uh, junk. In the US, um, you've injected an unprecedented, as uh, Brendan mentioned, uh, two billion into the two trillion into the economy. Yet your rating has gone from AAA plus to AAA minus, I believe, something along those lines. So um, remember that the US dollar and sterling have, have been considered for many years as a uh, as, as a um, source of, of uh, um, uh, uh, wealth holding, um, like gold. Um, so you know the question is, I think now while while we sort of all sit here and actually in these unprecedented times, and by the way. Um, world, world dominant, world dominant, world dominant, dominators, world dominators, uh, info report on the coronavirus, coronavirus it indicates 198 countries affected, 486,000 uh, reported cases, 22,000 deaths, 117,000 um, recoveries. Um, the global data collected so far indicates that the trend on a daily basis is rising at 11.3%. So you imagine how you, know, you compound that, um, which is where we're starting to see um, the move out of, of governments um, of this um, isolation um, uh, uh, precedent to, to, to making it slightly longer. Um, so, so what? And back now to to David's points. You know, when when you are sitting in a circumstance where you know you are considering this this unprecedented circumstance, it's amazing that everybody that we're speaking to here is in self isolation, basically globally. And um, what we're all doing, we think, some of us not by choice, though, kid. <laughs> yeah, we we we're thinking about how we how we work. We're thinking about how we relate to our families. 
We're thinking how we relate to our communities. And I believe governments are going to be doing the same thing. Now, as he talked about, you know, there's, there's, this could mean um, significant changes globally to capital flows, for example, to political gamesmanship. So, you know, parting, a parting thing on this is let's just consider another black swan, for example, which really was, um, was the, the, the oil sell-off. So basically, because of what has happened with corona and because of the consternation in global markets, on the 9th of March this year, OPEC met in Vienna really to consider the drop-off in demand because of, of uh, um, CB19. And what they were considering is the cuts, you know, cutting production. Now, um, the U.S. having sort of been beholden to OPEC in the last crisis has considerably um, lifted their uh, shale capacity. It's it's high cost of production, okay, and uh, and and it's quite indebted as an industry. But what they've done is they've actually moved from say seven percent. To say roughly roughly 17% of global production. So clearly, really, what was being said in these meetings was it was a look at the US in terms of the, uh, the the possibility of cuts. What was very surprising was uh, was Saudi surprised everyone and basically uh, after the meetings cut prices and then also looked to ramp demand because their marginal cost of production is so much lower than uh, the US. Now. What it means is um, is let's have a look at the U.S. and actually some of the gamesmanship that's being played here, uh, meaning no disrespect at all. Taking interest rates down as, as low as they have in the U.S. does does the obvious, which is James James is now alluding to, which is that you would anticipate that you get a a um, uh, a, uh, a, a, a depreciation in the currency. Depreciation in the currency means that it makes U.S. exports to their major market, which is China, cheaper. China, however, runs the, the uh, global economy. So China affects the global emerging uh, markets, but it actually drives the global economy. So if, uh, so if China is importing more than it's exporting, China takes a knock. And you've obviously seen Chinese downgrades to, um, to GDP. So um, a massive concern then for the global economy. And uh, what you're tending to find, actually, is that where you can maintain very good sovereign ratings, uh, you can actually get your workforce that's now sitting in the U.S. Uh, circumstance at, at 3 million unemployed back into work uh, and scale it up quicker than the rest of the world, will you will win. And so I, I think, you know, looking at it, there's a, you know, there's, there's where perhaps... Um, U.S. foreign policy was incredibly accommodative before. I think that may have changed, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Awesome. Thanks very much, Ken. Brendan, there's a question here. You, you spoke about, and certainly from my experience in America, last time we had the crash, 2008, 2009, 2010, some markets lost anywhere from 40 to 70% in the housing market, depending on what uh, country, uh, sorry, depending on what city you were talking about. Uh, Sandra's asked you about multifamily. You mentioned medical. Medical is fairly self-explanatory. You know, um, I, I always remember back to that story when I asked those people why medical, and they said, well, think about it. No matter what happens in the global economy, people need doctors, even with corona, <laughs> more than ever. Um, secondly, doctors never leave their premises. 
And thirdly, doctors, you know, are not good accountants. They sign very good long-term favorable leases. So, you know, medical has been a, a very good, stable um, investment option, but so has multifamily. And they were the two most economically resilient in the last crash. But Sandra wants to know what is multifamily. I know I put a definition up on the screen earlier. And uh, while you're talking, I'm going to get up a, um, I'm going to get up uh, one of your projects. But just explain to us what multifamily is for those who don't understand. Okay, so, so multifamily is effectively a block of apartments um, that's held under one title deed. So it's not sectionalized. Um, uh, if we would sectionalize it, we'd call it either sectional title in South Africa or condos or condominiums in, in America. Um, so it's effectively a block of apartments that's held under one title deed. And when we purchase it, we uh, own it in a special purpose entity that owns the property outright. Um, all of our investors own that special purpose entity together as a partnership. Um, and effectively, we've syndicated the deal uh, and we use uh, Wealth Migrate's platform to allow people to access uh, these types of properties. So if you have a look at the Oklahoma Class B, that's the one that we bought in November last year. Uh, it was a portfolio of five assets um, for a total of 827 units. Um, and each asset was its own title deed. Uh, four of them were in Pulsa, and one of them was in Oklahoma City. Um, what's interesting is 10 years ago, I would not have bought those properties because Oklahoma City back then was about 90% oil and gas. Um, what's great about Oklahoma City now is they completely diversified their economy. They're in healthcare, they're in military, they're in uh, technology, they're in universities. Uh, you know, th so th it's got a very diverse economy and oil and gas is only around 10% of it. Um, and they're the big companies as well, so they can see themselves through this particular crisis. And what we're finding with our properties is we're getting paid our rent. So, so far it's tracking very, very well. Um, the assets are what we call B class, but there's different classes of assets. Obviously, they kind of speak for themselves. A class would be expensive, um, very high-end luxury housing that's brand new uh, with great amenities. Then B class is, is what we bought here. So, this was the 1980s A class product. It was built in the 1980s. Got uh, a beautiful leasing office. They've sometimes got tennis courts. They've got a beautiful pool. Um, look at that. It's got, uh, you know, a gym on site. You know, so they're really, really, really nice. Um, and a great place where even I would be happy to live there. You know, it's not dangerous. They're in good school districts. Um, so they're very solid assets uh, that, as you know, that are affordable. So what's interesting at the moment is the research that's coming out um, through this coronavirus ep epidemic is that, B-class properties like we bought here are the ones that are going to fare the best in this particular crisis. And why is that? It's, it's um, If you look at the A-class properties, they're the ones that are more expensive um, and also have higher vacancies. And right now, if somebody loses their job or has to be forced to work from home or, or takes a cut in pay or something like that, they're going to be putting pressure on B-class properties. And the problem with B-class properties, and it's a, it's a good problem, is that you can't build them for the same price as they currently exist that you can buy them for. So um, if you want to build new products, the reason there's so much A-class product available is because the only way it makes sense at the current cost to build is to build product for the A-class markets uh, at much higher rents, which means if there's no new supply coming online uh, to 
you know, to compete with the stuff that we own, uh, it means we're always in a case of a, a supply and demand imbalance, which is what I love because it means our rents are always going up because the differential, the, the delta between our A-class product in that area and the B-class product is typically $1,000. So if somebody's earning five or $6,000 a month and he's paying us $800, $900 a month, the next leg up to get into an A-class property is going to cost him nearly $2,000 a month. He simply can't afford it. It's that simple. Whereas for somebody to downgrade and share an $800 or $1,000 a month apartment is very affordable. And if you look at what's happening with the COVID-19 crisis right now, is if they're going to issue $600 a week or roughly $2,500 a month, we're still only one-third of what they're giving to people in the stimulus package um, as a cost-to-earnings ratio. So even if the guy loses his job and gets $2,500 from the government, as long as he doesn't have too many crazy debts and stuff, he's still going to be able to pay his rent because it's still in a ratio of one-third. And most of the time, we use that uh, one-third ratio for vetting our tenants anyway. We happen to be in a good position in, in Oklahoma City where most of the time, it's only about the rent is only about 20% of their income. So uh, they're, they're very good units and are very affordable in that market. And I don't think we're going to have any issues with it whatsoever. Um, what we are seeing, though, is a lot more tenant retention so uh people are not moving obviously because nobody wants to move in this crisis and it's very difficult to get a moving company to come out and load your stuff for you and move it so people are not moving so we're getting very good tenant retention but because people aren't moving and this is now one of the top leasing seasons is going from spring into summer um we're not getting new traffic coming in so rental uh, on our lease renewals that are now going to come available we're expecting to not have too much movement in terms of increases, but we're also expecting to not have too much movement in, uh, in terms of an increase in vacancy as well. So we're pretty much tracking even. And what we're doing to, to you know, how we structure deals to protect ourselves, on this particular one, I'll give you an example, is when we raised the, the capital for this, we bought it for $76 million. We borrowed $52 million from uh, Morgan Stanley as a CMBS loan at 4.19%, somewhere around there, uh, on interest only for five years, and we've got 10 years. So what's amazing about that is we've got five years of interest only to ride out any downturn in the market, and we were able to fix it for 10 years. So we know what our debt repayment is. Then on the $24 million equity that we raised, um, of that $24 million, we've got $1.3 million in extra capital that we didn't need, but we overraised to have it in as a reserve. Uh, the second part of it is we hold $300 per unit per year as an emergency reserve as well out of the income, and that's mandated by our lender that we have to have that as a reserve. And the last part of it is um, our lender gave us a CapEx reserve that we're allowed to take out of our bond of an extra million dollars. So effectively, we've got about $2.3 million in, in reserve funds, not counting what we've already put in reserves from our income, that was mandated by our lender. Uh, so we're in a very strong position cash flow-wise, uh, and, and we're collecting $650,000, $660,000 a month, and our bond repayment is $180,000. So we could effectively lose 25 to 30% of our income and still not be in breach of any of our debt covenant ratios and still be able to pay our mortgage from our income without even touching our reserves. If we had to go into our reserves, we could take a 60 to 70% hit on our income and still ride this out for about two years. 
So we're very, very, very strong on our underwriting when we go into a deal, even when it was a fantastic market, because we've learned valuable lessons that it's better to be prepared than for me to have to pick up the phone to an investor when he's trying to save his business back in South Africa and the rand is at 18 rand 50 and I'm saying, we need you to move more money because uh, there's a capital call and we need more money to pay our mortgage so we don't lose the property. I never want to make that call. So we're always very, very, very conservative in our underwriting, in our capital raising, in how we run the projects to make sure we can write out Black Swan events like this. Um, so that gives you an idea of how, how we structured our stuff. And then um, one other thing I wanted to just add some value tonight is uh, is what we're seeing play out in the South African market is a battle between the, the legal guys, um, the commercial tenants, and the landlords. Um, and this is specifically in the retail space um, where they're starting to use force majeure as a, um, as a method to try and you know, not pay rent. The, the tenants are using that. Um, and if they don't have a force majeure uh, clause in their lease, they're using something called supervening impossibility. Um, now, what it means, basically, I'll, I'll read you the, the definition here. Let me just pull it up for a second. Um, it's phenomenal because it's in common law, and it's, it's very dangerous for landlords, but it's very powerful for tenants. And we need to be aware of this stuff so that we know how to, how to deal with it if it comes up in our portfolio. So, in the absence of a force majeure clause, the common law position will apply. And in terms of South African common law, the doctrine is known as supervening impossibility, where each party's obligation to perform in terms of an agreement and their respective rights to receive performance under that agreement will be extinguished in the event that the performance by a party of its obligation becomes objectively impossible as a result of unforeseeable and unavoidable events which are not the fault of any party to the agreement. So this is very, very powerful stuff. It means that a tenant that cannot access his property because the government told him that he can't go there to run his business can use supervening impossibility as a reason to not pay his rent. We're going to have so much pain in the South African market, it's only just starting. But at the same time, that means opportunity. So let's be aware of it. And if people do own retail stuff, know that this is coming uh, and start talking to your lawyers on how to counteract it. Excellent. Thank you, Brendan. Alex, you spoke a lot about, you know, converting uh, commercial office space. I mean, you know, I, I, I had my first office when I, uh, at 25, when I, when I became an entrepreneur and I walked to work in Wimbledon. I've never understood people commuting. Um, like, you know, we've been on Skype since, since the mid 2000s and, and everything like I've already explained. You've um, obviously got the, you can see the development that I've got here, which is where it's a mixed use and you're converting, um, office space into commercial and a residential scheme. Talk to us about this and, and also talk to us, how do you see the future playing out in terms of co-living, co-working, specifically mm. taking on Corona and everything else? Yeah, no problem. Uh, Scott, do you want, can I just share my screen? Yep, no problem. Uh, I'm always going to go and look for you guys. There we are, I got it. Okay. Can you tell me when you can see my screen? Not yet. Yeah, there we are. I got it. Yep. 
Perfect. So, um, you know, you had that screenshot that was just shown up there, which is one of our projects which we're moving forward uh, in Aberdeen. And that was actual a 30,000 square foot of commercial of office space, which was grade B, which I was talking about, you know, surplus to, to, surplus to requirements. It came onto the market and it was a really good story, um, kind of back up to what I was trying to tell earlier about how you can have a win-win as a developer and as an investor. And this particular property, um, let me just bring this up in here. Just go on to it. Give us two seconds. I'll just show you something else. So yeah, so this particular property came on and it actually generated, so we bought it at a very cheap price uh, anyway because it was surplus to demands. But on top of that, we were able to gain over £300,000 in revenue in just over three months, essentially because we took the tail end of a lease and then we got also what's called a, um, a dilapidation payment, which was a payment at the end of the lease. And so we saw a really good opportunity here to take um, those commercial premises that were under let, uh, that were under, you know, under a tenancy, taking them, taking the money out of them, but then also you know, extracting maximum value wherever possible uh, through the, de the development pieces at the back end. Now, I just want to show you the photo here so the guys can actually see. This is the, um, this is the existing building here, which is just basically a massive greenhouse, which I'm sure you're all quite aware that you wouldn't want to buy a home in this place. So this is the actual area here in this red square. And it was 1.75 acres and we're going to convert that. And that was essentially why I just wanted to show you that shot. This is the complex, which you're now going to see. This is very much what we're going to be creating over the next 18 months. And, you know, there's a, David was mentioning about it earlier in, in Oklahoma. You know, Aberdeen itself, which is one of the hubs we look into, they're also now going through diversification, similar to Oklahoma, where they're moving away from the oil and gas and moving much more into culture and uh, technology, the DMTs, so uh, technology, media and telecoms. And they're really trying to build that cultural awareness. And as you quite rightly said, um, there has to be a rise, not in just creating affordable housing, which is going to be a must after this COVID-19, uh, you know, not going for that high end stuff, but you want to create a really good affordable project um, development which can give you end-to-end -end living and you have to offer more than just a house or a home these days you've got to provide all the facilities that millennials and people demand they want everything at their fingertips which is integrated through technology so our homes and what you're seeing here and what we'll be bringing are all smart enabled we have uh, on the bottom here co-working space we have co-working service accommodation which is then blended in to the living at the top space. On top of that, we have a gym, uh, we have units which are then able to be run and self-developed by the community themselves. So they, you know, if you've got entrepreneurs and business owners, they're actually able to take those spaces and turn them into the businesses that they want. On top of that, you will then create new spaces for bars, uh, restaurants, um, and another catering, which kind of all add in that end-to-end -end lifestyle. And we really see than the need to have that overall um, offering as, as the core product under one affordable community umbrella. And that's what we're really trying to strive to do. Uh, and, and with our purchases, you know, really trying to make an impact on uh, Scott. Thank you very much. 
find it fascinating. And, and you know, I always believe that property is going to be a localized opportunity. And uh, it's always fascinating around the world, whether it's yourself, um, you know, speaking about what's happening in England and the opportunities, or Brendan in America, or what's happening in, in, uh, in Australia or South Africa. There was great insights, uh, Brendan, on what you gave us in, in South Africa. Um, We've got a lot of questions here, and what I want to do quickly is I just want to show a few slides, and then um, and then we can do some rapid fire questions. I'm very conscious of people's time, including uh, all of you who very kindly come and uh, and shared your time uh, with the delegates. So you know we are coming up to the two hours, and there's so much information we could we should probably have turned this into a day event. But um, you know, as Nelson Mandela said, money won't create success. Um, it's the freedom to make it uh, that will. And you know, the question that we always got for you, and you can see the screen behind me, uh, is are you a global citizen? And what are you doing to be ready for 2020? Now, you know, I created the slide in the last part of last year, and I don't think I was ready for 2020, because I don't think we expected it to be quite as uh, interesting as it's been so far. But, but really, hopefully tonight, in terms of trying to add value, you can see that we've brought from many different perspectives all of these uh, authorities, you know, can, can go much, much deeper in their area of, of expertise. You know, if you're interested in, in the properties, what um, what Brendan and Alex and them have spoken about and others are all available on the platform. This is just a screenshot, but you can actually go to the platform. I've shown you on the platforms. Um, if you're interested in the Inner Circle, which is our global community where we learn and grow together, um, it's not only about the investing, but the education, the community and the purpose. James and and uh, and, uh, and uh, his partner Alex actually put all the information up there. We've got a, a joint agreement with them, where our inner circle members get access to that information on currencies and and, and future predictions, etc. So if you're interested in the inner circle, you know, let us know. And if you're not knowing, and it sounds like it's a bit overwhelming and everything's happening at the same time, you know, that's why we created the starter pack. And it's really simple. And, and if you wouldn't mind just putting the link up. Um, in the chat box so that people can literally just click on on, on the chat box, um, you know, in terms of you can just go to online.wealthmigrate.com forward slash start in terms of where you're actually at. And I'm going to leave this uh, this little slide up now, um, which, which has that starter pack and, and being able to join. Now, what I would ask from, uh, from, the, from the other um, speakers is let's try and do this rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a quick question, but let's keep it really short. So James, um, there's a question here. Why do you think it will be not? Why do you think it will not be a V-shape once COVID goes? That the world machine should kick in. The demand is there. Yes, it will take some time to start the engine. James, you with us? Sorry, I was muted there. Um, just, just repeat that, Lisa. Why it won't? <laughs> why do you think that it will not be a V-shape once COVID goes and the world machine should kick in? The demand is there. Yes, it may take some time to start the engine. Um, just because, from one point of view, the, the the bubble is bigger than we were, and if you look at, you know, compared with. 2008, um, Brendan, you mentioned the, the, the jobless claims. It actually came through today at 6.65 million. Wow. So we've doubled, we've doubled in the last couple of weeks. Um, that, is, 
That is 10 times more than in 2007, 2008. So we're not, we're not talking about a 2008 recession. It's, um, it's something far bigger. <laughs> so um, the, 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 the debt is bigger. They're throwing more money at it. Um, but it's, at, at some point, the bubble has to burst. You know, it's, um, think of it like a, a, having a fire, a forest fire. Um, a forest fire is healthy. It uh, gets rid of all the, the dead wood and undergrowth and everything and starts some new, um, you know, allows the sunlight in and so on, and you get good growth after that. But if we keep on trying to put out the small fires, we're going to hit the big one, and I think this is the big one. Excellent. David, there's a question here. A point of attention regarding exponential phenomena technology over the long run, they don't escape the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, Scott, sorry, Scott. Apologies, guys. Apologies, there, David. It's my birthday today, and I've just found out I've got a surprise birthday at in all of seven minutes. So, would you please let me bow out kindly uh, to get myself ready? I've been told I've got to get myself ready in fancy dress. So, <laughs> happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you very much for no. being on your birthday. Get back very quiet. So I hope you have a fantastic time. No, thank you very much, guys, Scott, for the opportunity, Lee, and all the panelists for an amazing session. Thank you very much for your time. If there is any questions for me, feel feel free to forward them to Lee, and I'll, I'll answer them as soon as I can. Thank you very much, guys. Excellent. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Uh, so, uh, Scott, to answer the question uh, uh, from, from the audience, absolutely, we are not uh, uh, transcending the laws of nature. However, the laws of nature uh, leave uh, enormous opportunities that are uh, underexploited. Uh, now, luckily, for example, uh, the pandemic is not going to be exponentially expanding forever. There are only 8 billion uh, humans to infect, so it will become a sigmoid, it will hit a uh, a, a point of maximum uh, infection, and then um, crossing fingers, we will be ready uh, to be doing like Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, um, rather than those countries that were unable to uh, prepare, uh, because there will be other waves. Uh, there is no going back. Uh, our globally interconnected world will try to uh, re uh, uh, connect again, uh, both individually, we like to hug, uh, we are social animals, but also our supply chains uh, uh, will be uh, balanced by more decentralized uh, production systems as well. Uh, uh, maybe the uh, US military will wake up to the fact that uh, uh, they are uh, exposed to a single supply of uh, Chinese sources uh, in uh, so many of their uh, um, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, for example, right? And that is uh, uh, absolutely intolerable and, and absurd from, from their point of view. So there will be uh, changes. However, the fundamental uh, improvement of uh, the way that we uh, exploit the laws of nature, implementing them in our uh, engineering uh, applications uh, has still enormous potential uh, uh, to go. Uh, 
computers have been improving for the past uh, 50 years and more, and we are at the absolute beginning of new important revolutions like artificial intelligence or quantum computing, where uh, we are exceeding the previous paradigm because what I call jolting technologies that these are two examples of are not characterized by a mere exponential whose acceleration is constant, for example, doubling every two years. They are uh, characterized by an increasing rate of acceleration. So um, we, we are really in front of uh, incredible opportunities. It is up to us to just learn as much as we can in order to stick all this knowledge in our brains and then act on that knowledge rapidly, making mistakes that we can survive so that we can learn from those mistakes too. And sharing our learnings, sharing our mistakes, sharing our uh, path uh, so that everybody can participate. And that is exactly what we are doing tonight. So I'm very grateful to have been your guest and to share just a few sentences uh, to, to everybody who has been following us. Excellent. Thanks, David. I'm not sure who's best to answer this between yourself and James, but the question was, when the stock market drops, does Bitcoin follow the same pattern or does it go the other way? Uh, let me answer that quickly. I was uh, somewhat surprised that Bitcoin didn't become a uh, kind of a gold-like uh, uh, asset uh, where people would uh, take refuge uh, in uh, times of uncertainty. But then I was able to explain to myself that people needed cash that they could spend. Uh, uh, Bitcoin has been kind of defeated uh, as, uh, uh, as a medium of exchange. Uh, uh, the number of stores that accept Bitcoin as payment are just plain too few. So uh, when people flock to cash, uh, Bitcoin can uh, suffer too. And uh, uh, that is uh, what we are seeing today. James, what does your graphs tell us? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have seen it, it fall off with, um, with uh, the stock market coming off. But, um, you know, every, every asset class is an animal on its own. So, um, I'd, if you want, to, want me to share my, my chart on Bitcoin, um, Go back to you quickly. Definitely realizing uh, next time uh, two, two, two houses, we need a half day to do this properly. We got your screen? Have you got it? Yeah. Ah, okay. Please. So this is our, our current long-term outlook on Bitcoin, and they care just looking at our you know five waves up, three waves down. They do had a one, two, three, four, and we're now into a fifth wave up, and then we had this big correction here when the stock market fell. But since then, we've had some recovery, and in essence, as long as we don't um, break that level. I'm ex we are expecting um, Bitcoin to take off from here. So um, I, I, I shared David's views, you know, that with 
with um, when there's a crisis, persons need cash, and therefore, you know, Bitcoin suffered along with it. But um, I think through this period, um, we're going to see um, persons see the value more of Bitcoin and these other uh, other cryptos versus fiat currency, which is backed by government debt, which is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, Bitcoin isn't backed by any debt. Bitcoin is what it is. It's not um, it's not some country that's increasing its debt but promising to pay to pay me my dollar back. There's a um, there's a couple of questions here about how to get the graphs and everything else. Um, basically, in simple terms, either you subscribe and uh, Alex did. Uh, uh, sorry, James did give um, a, a link uh, for people, and uh, I know that we've also got a special arrangement for people that are part of our inner circle where they get access to it on a monthly basis. So no, for the people asking, we won't just be sharing the slides um, you know, for free. Um, this is their intellectual uh, material that, that they use, and uh, you'll either need to be a subscriber um, you know, with James and the team and or um, you know, get a watered-down version, which we get uh, on the inner circle uh, once a month that Alex puts up uh, once a month, uh, Alex and James work together. Um, and then, and that, that goes to all the different questions. People are asking Euro, Rand, short term, what do you anticipate um, with regards to the Euro against the pound? Just some interest, you didn't talk about that, James, Euro to pound? Um, I, I haven't looked at it, to be honest. Um, but I mean, we, we do forecasts on any, any market. Um, you know, which would do a full synchronized edit wave analysis and forecast. So if someone wants something in particular, we're quite happy to have a look at it. Okay. Um, okay, someone was just saying, um, when when I was putting up the polls, they couldn't see the slides. I specifically did it when there were no slides, it was just people talking, so you didn't miss anything. Uh, Matthew says, excellent synopsis, Ken, so thanks very much for that on, on the markets. Uh, where do you think the SA repo rate, currently 5.25%, will be for the rest of 2020? I don't know who wants to give that a go. It, um, it depends what the Treasury rates do. So, uh, I mean, if you look at um, at the Fed, Fed rates as well as SA, they pretty much just follow um, Treasury yields. So um, I think those have been heading down. I think they might have turned a bit now. Um, I haven't looked at the SA ones. Yeah, I mean, I could uh, probably chip in there. You know, yeah, I looked at forecast either. I agree with you completely. You know, look at uh, look at you know, spreads to the US ten uh, year Treasury, um, and you know, you see them. You know, ordinarily probably probably you know looking at. At more like 200, 250 basis points versus, um, you know, I thought say 500 now. The difficulty is, is to fend uh, fend off uh, a route in the currency in the South African circumstance. They're going to be it's going to be very hard pressed to to drop rates further at this point in time. So there's a balancing act between that and um, and nose diving the economy as well. So you know, I think um, you know, hard pushed as I said um, to you with the. Uh, the twin deficits that South Africa faces at the moment, and then the uh, the, the sovereign rating downgrade to junk, because um, 
you know, it, it, it forms, uh, you know, a bunch of factors basically against the RAND. I think the, the other thing to do is look at, at vol, volatility, you know, obviously a volatility top out, um, so kind of the way through March, it's, you know, it's come back now. I mean, yeah, I think you've got as high as some 80%. I think you're about 50, I think when I last looked, you know, you want, you know, if, if, if vol starts to come off, that will give you an idea of, of um, you know, benefits in terms of sentiment. And obviously, then the markets start to take off. The big thing is to look at the key drivers here. And obviously, for emerging markets and for South Africa, it is China. So you know, you really want China to bounce off its um, its its latest uh, downgrades in, in uh, growth forecasts, um, and you want it to start turning the corner. And of course, that's going to come against uh, what happens in the US dollar. As I say, if you see a you know major depreciation in the US dollar, it's going to suck in. Um, uh, um, it, it, it will. Um, China will suck in uh, U.S. exports. It'll benefit the U.S. economy. They'll be able to turn around quicker, but it's going to affect China and it's going to affect uh, global emerging markets, and that in turn will affect uh, the, uh, the Central Europe, Middle East, and African sector, of which South Africa is one. There's a comment here about uh, coronavirus and keeping doctors and dentists and stuff at home. Um, I do acknowledge that uh, these times are different and obviously we, uh, you know, unprecedented. Um, we, we tend to focus on medical centers, which are by primary hospitals and, uh, and, and need to be part of that. Um, Brendan, you lived in Canada last year. Someone just said, yeah, any thoughts on Canada, Canada's future being so close to America? Yeah, I was there for about six months last year and it was beautiful. Got to do some nice skiing and, and everything. Um, what their future is, I really don't know. Um, I think this COVID pandemic is going to have a massive effect on everybody. I mean, uh, I read something recently that they were uh, closing road borders between Canada and the US and not, you know, and making it significantly more difficult for people to travel. And obviously, they're very close partners. Um, so, you know, both geographically and and geopolitically. So. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's an interesting question. I'll actually go and research it a little, little bit more. But I think it's going to just have an effect on everybody. There's a question, yeah, and I'm, I'm conscious of the time now, so I'm going to look to wrap up. Because uh, the questions are coming in as fast as I'm getting going through them, to be honest. Uh, Linda said, with the RAND getting weaker, is it prudent to still buy properties in, in the USA? Um, I'm going to, Linda, do a, a webinar next Wednesday. So next Wednesday is Wealthy Wednesday, and I'm going to be, I've got a whole bunch of models. Brendan and I have been doing this for more than a decade. I've got a whole bunch of models to show you the difference between taking action, waiting based on James's probability of the RAND getting stronger and, and what impact it, it means. So rather than gut feel, come and, come and look at the actual research. Um, there's a bunch here saying happy birthday. He's multi-grade, expanding into other industries. Uh, yes, other other wealth uh, or financial industries. We've got structured notes and, and debt products now. Um, what about an investment in whiskey as an asset class? <laughs> I'm sure that there's plenty of good asset classes. I'd imagine that buying real estate far away without someone seeing it will require people to make smaller make smaller investments in more properties. Yeah, so that that's the whole idea, Guido, of, of our platform. Um, and, and you're investing in the partners who are on the ground and have the local experience. But with the platform, it allows you to make multiple investments across different assets in different countries and different currencies. Uh, what about the impact of the credit rating on junk for SI? I think you've discussed that, Ken, have you not? 
Yes, I think I, I think I have. I mean, look, it's it's not good for the currency. Um, you know, I was very interested in uh, in James's uh, graphs. Um, you know, the, the the big problem is is uh, debt burden in South African circumstance and how to fund that debt burden, and that's that's going to be a global phenomenon going forward. And uh, and you know, it's it's certainly going to have an effect on the rand. Um, you know, looking at the uh, uh, at the technicals, uh, as James has suggested, is is possibly you know the rand rallies back. But, but I'm, uh, I, I am skeptical. I've just been looking at, uh, um, you know, bond spreads here, and um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, as I say, you know, 250 basis points, basis points may be normal, but you know, sort of 500 to 600 basis points isn't necessarily. Um, does South Africa have the room to actually uh, drop rates? You know, they did an unprecedented 100 basis points uh, recently. Can they do that again? Um, it's questionable. So, yeah, just of interest, we did have a chart up, but um, with um, just for looking at similar countries when they uh, were downgraded to junk. Um, Russia, the ruble actually strengthened 32% in about four months following junk status. And results strengthened twenty five percent in twelve months. So some um, counterintuitive, but um, that's that's what actually happened. But I mean, the lo longer term picture is obviously not as good. But um, sometimes you know, it's the, the persons have anticipated that already in the market. So it's um, you get a, a retracement off that. Can I ask um, James if you can put up the the code that you had and the and the link in the chat box so that people can just uh, can 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 get access to it and either that or reach out to Lee and she'll be able to assist you. Um, I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, sorry, James. Um, I see it. Uh, Lee put it up. Oh, Lee's put up already. And Lee, if you wouldn't mind putting up the starter pack as well, if people want to get started on the inner circle, etc. Um, so just a closing. Closing comments from everyone, including you, please, Lee. Let's go in the same order as, uh, as we started with the introductions. What I'd like to say is that we're in an unprecedented time. As we've all discussed, there's been economic crashes and all that in the past, but there's never been every person almost anywhere in the world being forced to be at home. How do you see the next three to six months, and, and what is your one piece of advice that you would offer uh, to, the, to people listening? Um, as to what to do in the next three to six months. Those and comments Thanks, from Scott. each of you. Thanks, Scott. Um, so firstly, to our panel, thank you very much. It was an absolutely fabulous um, webinar, so much content, and I agree with Scott, we should have made it instead of a whole day, an entire, an entire weekend. I think people would have just been online continuously. It was amazing. Um, as someone who is currently displaced um, with the current world events, I would say to people that there is so much out there that we can learn and so many people are offering um, their time and their expertise for nothing um, or for very little. So this is your time to grow personally, to grow financially. Um, it is the time to seek out 
those little bits of um, sunshine in this rather dark time. So look out for the opportunities, take advantage of it, learn from as many experts and listen to what they're saying because these are people that have thrived um, through all the previous um, recessions and crashes. Um, so just take in as much as you can. Don't back and don't be scared because at the end of this, we will continue and we will come out stronger. Awesome, thank you, Lee. Brendan, I think you were next. So I just want to say that um, that there's there's positive and negative in everything. Like the world, the universe works in rhythms. Um, and while we've had a great bull market and, a, and, a, and great positivity and sentiment for the last 10 odd years, um, maybe not so much in South Africa. There's been some negative uh, sentiment in South Africa for a little while, but it's been getting better for the last year or so uh, up until recently. So it's been it's been very interesting watching the pendulum swing to the other side where there's significant negativity in the world right now. And one of the, the sort of stoic philosophies, for want of a better sort of way to think about things that, that's been holding me and my family together has been one simple thing is this this thing is not happening to me, it's happening for me. So if I hold that philosophy in my head often um, and, and try and expand on that and say it's not happening to my parents or my friends or it's happening for them, how can I help them? How can I help myself? How can I help other people? If we are asking ourselves this, this fundamental question, it's going to become apparent that, um, that a consciousness shift is very definitely going to happen in the world and on a very massive scale especially when you've got time at home to sit and think about it. So, so I think that this could be one of the most incredible shifts on the planet because as, as far back as the negative pendulum is going to swing, it's going to swing the other direction even further on the positive side. And when that happens, we're going to be in a different world, in a different state, uh, in, you know, and we can't even imagine how great it's going to be. So while you're in this state of fear and panic and anxiety and not sure about your business, not sure about your family's health, not sure about your parents' health or or your children's or anything like that. It's a it's a very significant thing. Just just hold true to we're resilient, we're strong, we're um, humans are like cockroaches. We kind of it's very difficult to get rid of us, and um, and we will make it through. And and there's there's we don't know what the universe is going to hold on the other side of this, but I can tell you that when it swings back the other way, if you've positioned yourself well and you've learned well and you've partnered well with good people, you're going to be okay. Thanks, Brendan. David, I know you've got to go, so let's, uh, let's go with you uh, next. Uh, final comments, and thanks for your time uh, as well. Uh, there is no better way to learn than to do. So whatever you decide to, to, to do in order to take advantage of your situation, certainly acquiring new skills, new knowledge to act upon, you can do it by doing. And that is why our digital world today uh, is so different than not in previous times when similar pandemics uh, 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 afflicted uh, millions or billions of people. And the reason why it is different is because we can do what we are doing now. Uh, I have also started uh, a daily live stream uh, in my uh, studio. Uh, I'm uh, on uh, the 13th uh, daily episode as of uh, today. Tomorrow will be the 14th. Uh, and, and I invite you, uh, just uh, uh, search my name on your favorite platform because I am actually streaming it simultaneously uh, everywhere. And uh, 
uh, whether it is Facebook or YouTube or uh, Twitter or even Twitch, uh, which used to be for e-gaming, but uh, now is being uh, um, uh, attacked by boomers like, like me. And uh, you can uh, also do the same. Uh, everything that, that you learn can be shared with others in your own community. And, and by doing that, you acquire confidence, knowledge of the tools, uh, ability to formulate uh, what you think and find better questions to ask. Uh, the benefit is going to be just huge. And uh, uh, that is that is what uh, I would like uh, all of us uh, learning by doing in order to be able to ask better questions and act on them rapidly. Awesome. Well, David, be safe. Uh, in Italy, and uh, I look forward. We've had some fantastic times face to face, and I look forward to seeing you face to face again. So, Absolutely. thank you very much, mate. Thank you very much. Ken, from your perspective. So, I uh, actually have to go. This uh, live stream was two hours long, uh, two hours and 15 minutes, uh, and um, it has been a real marathon. Um, tomorrow, uh, we are going to have a new session of uh, searching for the question uh, live. Uh, in uh, closing, uh, I would like to uh, invite you to uh, look up past episodes on the playlist uh, that you can find on davidorban.com slash SFTQL, searching for the question live. Join uh, the uh, community. Uh, to discuss, share uh, questions and understanding uh, on our Discord server at bit.ly slash davidorban slash dash discord. Um, and uh, sign up uh, for my newsletter uh, that you will receive uh, weekly on bit.ly slash davidorban dash newsletter dash sign up. And of course, uh, you can uh, support uh, the show on patreon.com slash David Orban. See you tomorrow.